Today's the 13th. Here's a quick proverb. Verse 10, by pride, nothing comes but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. So I love, I love the book of Proverbs. Before we um, get to the regular message today, I do want to just for us to take a minute or two and um, pray over our country. And I'm going to talk to you about two, two things um, that, that happened in my week and to kind of give you the context of what, how I want to pray. I woke up Tuesday morning, um, election day, and, and, and it's, this is very unusual for me, but, but I was grieving in my spirit. It wasn't so much because who was going to win or who wasn't going to win. I, of course, voted, and I, of course, had concerns and preferences, but that wasn't it. It was about the election in our country that day, and I think that, that there was a, a, almost a spiritual focal point on Tuesday. Um, and um, here's what I was grieving in my spirit about. Uh, I just really look at our country, and we are very evenly divided. Have you noticed? If you noticed, there is a division in our country between people. And that division is deep. It's very, very deep. And um, <clears throat> you can't, if you have a TV or a newspaper or you talk to a person, if any of those things happen um, in a couple of weeks leading up to the election, you heard all kinds of things. And um, what grieved my spirit was that, that, that this was more than just preferences and disagreements. It was a, it's a, there's a sharp divide in our country. And here's the thing. I think the people, pick your side. Don't care which side. I mean, I care which side. It doesn't matter which side you're on. The people on each side believe about the people on the other side two things. They believe they're stupid and evil. Now, I've used very, very harsh words because I think that it ac- accurately represents what people are thinking and saying about other people in our country today. It grieved my spirit. I mean, I had preference about the election. Don't get me wrong. But it grieved my spirit, the topic of the division in our country. And I woke up with it. And I think it was God's place. And I spent the entire day praying for our nation and praying for our people. And not so much praying for the election itself. I'd kind of done that. I'd kind of exhausted that topic kind of in my soul. Um, But I woke up about that. And then, then something else happened. I had a very busy week. Just happened to be Lisa was gone all week, um, out of town, out of the state, and so I was by myself all week, which, (laughs) and I don't have a dog anymore, I didn't have a wife, I mean, this sounds like the beginnings of a great country music song. (laughs) And uh, I was really, I was just really busy, you know, I took her to the airport Sunday after church, and I was just busy, busy, busy from that moment on, and Long about Tuesday sometime, I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a day of rest, and I planned Thursday. So Thursday had good weather, so Thursday was my day off this week, and I decided I was going to hang Christmas lights at home, okay? They're not turned on yet, for those of you that would be offended by a Christmas light before Thanksgiving, okay? <laughs> They're going to be on before Thanksgiving, get over it, okay? But um, <laughs> anyway, my tradition is I open up my garage doors, and I'm doing this stuff, and usually it's raining and cold. It was nice on Thursday. And, but I play Christmas movie, movies while I put up Christmas lights. There's a TV in my garage. And I had Christmas movies going all day on Thursday, including this one of my old classic favorites. And I just want you to see a particularly patriotic moment and spiritual moment. The intersection of Election Day happened in a Christmas movie. So I have this clip for you, and then we'll pray. Before we begin, 
since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Oh, oh great. Oh. What, dear? Grace! Grace! She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. 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 I'm the king of rabbit trails. I know that has nothing to do with praying over our country. But, you know, watching someone start to pray and what came to her mind was the Pledge of Allegiance. And um, I'm grateful for the Pledge of Allegiance. And I'm not here to indoctrinate you or to make you stand up and, you know, say that thing. But I, but I think about the, the words there. Um, and I consider it a privilege to be an American. I, I feel a privilege and blessing from God to be an American. And I also, um, but I, I have to tell you that, although I'm a citizen, born in America, um, I consider my citizenship to be one of the kingdom of heaven. And my higher allegiances are there. And, um, and uh, I think as far as being um, a, someone who lives here and is a citizen of the United States and I live in, and, you know, I serve in Rochester and, and I am an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven to the community of Rochester, to the state of Washington. I am an ambassador to the people of the United States of America because I'm actually a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and, and I am under God. I choose to place myself under the authority of God. And uh, indivisible, I think Christians ought to be. There's been a lot of division. In fact, I, um, little tiny commentary I want to make. I saw and heard about all kinds of Christians taking pot shots at each other over this election. We need to be united. Christians should stand together, and our focus ought to be on Christ and um, liberty and justice for all. That's what Jesus gives us for everybody. Anyway, so I, I, a couple of just conclusion comments, and then I think we should pray for our country. Um, the things that dominate our headlines do not have to dominate your hearts. Just because it's in the headlines doesn't mean you have to, that has to be the maypole around which you do. And, and there is only one name that will ever bring the entire world together, and you are never going to find it on a ballot. And the name is Jesus. Amen. With, that, um, with that as a setup, I want us to pray for our country, particularly on the issue of division. God, um, forgive us when we would make judgments about other people and conclusions about other people's hearts and we, we know, God, that we are part of a broken world and part of a broken culture and that you love us so much, God, and we get our eyes on things other than you so easily. Forgive us for that, Lord. But we pray today for, for the people of our country. We pray, Lord, that this would become a country more known for love than division, more known, God, for righteousness and truth than, than vitriol and spin. I pray, God, for... Um, 
I pray God for Donald Trump because he is now going to be our president. So we, as, as, as your kids, we pray for those in authority over us. And so, Lord, we ask God for mercy upon this land. We ask God for wisdom to rest in the halls of government. We ask God most and, and, and foremost, though, that in the halls of our own hearts, you would find something there that pleases you. So let it start right here, God, that we would be lovers of people. And Lord, so we pray, we pray against division in our country and we pray, Lord, over love. And we, God, God, we will ask, we ask God that you would anoint us as your ambassadors to do that today, tomorrow in the workplace, wherever we might find ourselves in the name of Jesus. If you can agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. 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 Okay, good. So uh, today, um, today's part four of um, this is the last uh, in the series. We've been talking about how do we love our neighbor and I reminded you each time, it's really easy to love the neighbor when they bring over the hot cinnamon rolls. That's not who we've been talking about. We've been talking about the, difficult, um, the difficulty of loving in different circumstances. For example, we talked in the first week about racism. And um, we talked about how do you love orphans. Last time we talked about how do you love the poor. And um, we're, today we're, I'm going to start out at the very, very beginning of God's word in Genesis, and when, when God uh, created the world, and he said, and you, as you read through those passages, he says over and over, it's good, it's really good, it's really good, it's very, very good. Um, you know, he said, he, 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 for each, each of the things that, each of those mile points, points, he says, you know, when there's light, he said, it's really good. It, by the way, I, this is how I get off track with rabbit trails when I can't help it. You know, but the first thing that he, you know, he, he says, we read it, let there be light. Yada or, he says, exist light is literally what those words say. <laughs> I was thinking about that, you know, and we all thought that, I shouldn't even go here. We all thought that the clapper was invented in 1985, <laughs> but God just said light. And, and there it was, there it was. I went off on this rabbit trail. 1985, same company that invented the sit on the clapper, sells the chia. You know, that hairy animal thing. <laughs> I don't mean to put God on that level, but there's nothing new under the sun. Anyway, so when he created the lands and the dry seas, it's good. And, um, and, and the grass and the grass and the herbs and the trees, it's good. And the fish and the birds, it's really good. It's good. He kept saying, good, good, good. Verse, then picking up in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, which is really important. Not going to talk about it today. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God said, verse 29, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to it you shall, uh, to it shall be, to you it shall be food. Verse thirty. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Verse thirty. And indeed, it was very good. Good, 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 good. This is good. That's good. Everything's good. It was all good. Until God looked at Adam, and He said, "It's not good." that you be alone. There it is, the very first time. Everything else is good or very good, then the very first thing God sees and says, that's just not so good there. It's just not good that you be alone. Today I want to talk to you about loneliness. 
And I guess if I was to ask you the question, you know, who do you think is lonely or what group of people do you think would describe lonely? I think that the first thing that for many of us that would come to mind would maybe be some people who are more at the senior end of their life season and they find themselves living alone. Uh, maybe they're a widower or a widower, but, um, but I want to expand. And that's absolutely true, by the way. I want to stay, remain sensitive. I would like to stir your sensitivity about that. Uh, but I want to also expand your sensitivities on this a little bit to see who some other people who are lonely, who, who maybe battle with loneliness as well. And I, there's a concept right now that social scientists, you know, they study these kinds of things and they love to put new labels on, on uh, different circumstances. And, and there's this, this phrase now that's coming out. It's called relational poverty. Relational poverty. And, um, you know, you can be with a lot of people and still feel very, very alone. I mean, you can be sitting right here in a church building full of all these people. You're in a crowd and still feel really lonely. You can be a stay-at-home mom with little human beings. I guess they're human beings. Crawling on, doing all these things and, and still have this nagging sense of loneliness. You can go to work, be around a lot of other people. You could be actually doing something that you really love but not want to go to work anymore because when you're there, you just feel completely isolated and alone. Maybe you're a student. You know, you go to school and you don't fit in and you just, you know, you just don't feel there's nobody there. You, 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 there's nobody you can open up to, nobody you can trust, nobody you can talk to, and you just feel alone. I mean, I've talked to people who are in completely broken, dysfunctional marriages. They're actually in the same bed with someone and they feel alone, completely alone. You know, you be a success in business, have all the stuff, and just still feel you're completely alone. What's relational poverty? We're going to say relational poverty is lacking the intimacy and the connections to live a meaningful life. The intimacy and the connections. You get people around you all the time, but you really don't feel like you have people you can open up to that you know care about you, that you can really trust, or, or anybody that really cares about you. You can be in a really crowded place and experience just this nagging sense of loneliness. Why is relational poverty such a growing problem, especially in developed nations? Well, social scientists have come up with some theories and some causes, and I want to give you four of them. I'm not going to spend much time on this, but tell you what social scientists say are reasons why loneliness is increasing. Number one is the breakdown of families, the breakdown of families. In fact, some of you have unfortunately experienced this. You've gone through a hurtful divorce, and, and um, you know, he gets possession of the church. You've got to find a new church. He gets possession of these, you know, she gets these friends. You've got to find new friends. I mean, it just all of a sudden you find this broken down and, and uh, broke, uh, the breakdown of relationships. Number two, increased mobility. Increased mo- pe- mobility. People just don't stay in the same place long like they used to. You know, there's just doesn't, doesn't seem to be, the, the roots just don't go down. We're moving around in our society and our businesses and we just move around. And years ago, that didn't happen. Uh, generations stayed in the same location for a very long time. They just don't do that. Number three, heavy workloads. We're busy. I say to you, how are you doing? Oh, I'm really busy. How are you doing? Well, I'm really busy. Well, how are you doing? I'm really, really busy. We're busy. And in fact, we're so busy that we don't have time to connect. And then number four, and this is interesting to me, especially considering all of the other so-called benefits that come from this, but it's the rise of social media. The rise of social media. You know, we, we, we might get a glimpse 
into other people's lives, but we don't get it. It comes to us without this deep sense of intimacy. It's more of a snapshot of something going on, you know, and, and we end up doing things like we post a selfie and then we continually kind of go back to the selfie to see if anybody's reacted to it. Do we get comments? Do we get likes? It makes me feel more connected. And when they don't say something, we feel even more alone than we did before we did it. Why do we do this? I think it's because there's this need inside of us for intimacy. We, you know, you know, experts tell us that what we're actually doing when we do all these things is we're actually deferring our loneliness till later. And that's worth thinking about. Um, and I think, I think that intimacy and um, um, loneliness is actually a, a real significant problem that's growing in our culture. I think, and I think it affects every one of us. I really do. I mean, no matter how many people you know, or how, many, how, how connected you are, there will come a moment, a time, when you also feel, you know, every one of us gets there at some point. So, so I, think, I think that we, we need to recognize that sitting here today, probably, are plenty of people right here who are feeling lonely and hurting and, and, and alone. And because of that, I want to just take one more little moment, and I want us to pray about that. Here's what I think is going to happen in this next couple of prayers. I'm going to guide you in this prayer, but I think that as we pray about loneliness that the Lord is going to put somebody on your heart. Maybe more than one. You know, it might, it might be somebody sitting in this room. It might be somebody in your neighborhood, somebody at work. But, I, but, but I'm praying that the Lord is going to speak that name to you and that you're going to know down in your soul that before this day is over, you're supposed to either go look him in the eye and give him a hug or call him up and say, hey, you got time for coffee or even if you don't do it today, that the Holy Spirit's going to prompt something in you about the name. Um, you know, you're going to be thinking about somebody at your office or somebody at school. Or, you know, and we're God's kids. We should be salt and light. We should be part of the difference. So I'm going to pray about that, and um, let's just pray. Father, we love you, God, and we believe that you have called us, that you have set us apart, um, and you've called us to be the hope of Christ. You really have, God, and um, especially to people who, who are hopeless, just are discouraged and hopeless. So as you put those people on our minds today, God, would you give us wisdom, and would you give us the courage, and the Lord, Lord, the, the motive about how to take a step of love for people and, and, and for their benefit. God, help us to have eyes to see the things you see and ears to hear it and the heart to do it in the name of Jesus. So I want to talk to you today about how do we love the lonely? How do we love the lonely? You know, there's a lot of ways, and um, I want to take a look at some of the most commonly ways that Jesus did it, the things Jesus did for people who were lonely, and, um, and I'll give you three of them. So first one is this. How are we going to love the lonely? First one is we're going to love with touch. We will love them with touch. <laughs> if there's a chance for a rabbit trail there I'm just not going to go down that one um, but there's an amazing passage in Matthew 8 and um, this one has always kind of spooked me uh, not, I mean just a little bit so in Matthew 8 verse 2 a man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said notice he doesn't ask a question here he makes a declaration to Jesus and says Lord if you are willing you can make me clean he didn't have any question about what God could do. He, he knew exactly what God could do. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, 
um, it might help us know a little bit about this disease to kind of get the context here. First off, this guy was breaking Levitical rules. He should not have walked up to Jesus and knelt down. He should have been on the other side of the street yelling, unclean. They had the little clappers, they had little noisemakers, draw attention to my, my terrible uncleanness so that you can stay in a safe bubble away from me. He broke all the rules coming up to Jesus and makes this declaration. Here's the deal about this disease. It was, you know, it's, it's pretty uncommon in our world today. It's, it's, it's out there in a few places, but it was really, really common there. And um, they had a whole list of laws in Leviticus that told what you do if you're a leper, what you don't do. And um, the disease itself was pretty terrible. Um, you know, once you knew you had it, they figured your lifespan was probably no more than 10 years. And um, it would start with some fatigue and muscle aches and pains in your joints, and, and it would progress to these scaly rashes that would show up on the skin. And it was actually, it's actually a disease that attacks the nervous system. And as it would attack the nervous system, you would actually lose the ability to feel pain. So you've heard stories probably of, you know, icky stories of people with leprosy that wake up in the morning and rats had literally eaten off fingers and things like that. That's true. They wouldn't know it was going on. That's so terrible. That's gross, Terry. Don't say those kinds of things in church. Anyway, so, um, I mean, it was, it was terrible. And, and there, it would affect things like the vocal cords. So the way a person talked would change and you could almost hear leprosy in the tone of their voice. And people would come to know that. And their face would begin to contort. And um, the body would actually begin in some places to decompose and smell like it. And this dude, in this condition, I mean, this is one of the most contagious diseases there are. This dude comes up to Jesus and kneels. He comes right up there into Jesus' personal space. (laughs) Right up there. If you're willing, you can fix this. What does he do? Verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand. He reached out his hand and touched the man. Jesus looks at him and says, I am willing. He said, be clean. Immediately he was clean, clean, cleansed of his leprosy. Okay, transparently, I wouldn't have been going, hey, fist bump. <laughs> I mean, think about it. I mean, just really, I'm not proud of this, but my reaction to somebody walks up, I know they got leprosy, and they walk up and say, hey, I'm, I, it wouldn't matter if I had a vial of the cure with the syringe ready to go. I'd be kind of like, <laughs> tell me from over there <laughs> or something. I mean, I mean, it's kind of, is there some hand sanitizer? I mean, I want to put some on right now just thinking about this. Lisa, you've always got hand sanitizer in your purse. Give me some. I mean, I mean, I mean, it just, I wouldn't be in any hurry to touch this guy. He's ceremonially and literally unclean. And Jesus <laughs> just reaches out. Whatever he did. Must have been an amazing moment. And, and, and the crazy thing is, uh, there's all kinds of examples through the four gospels of Jesus healing people where he didn't touch them. He healed a lot of people. And, and he, he didn't, you know, he, he didn't even have to actually be with them. You know, the, the, the centurion's daughter, he healed her. He didn't even have to go over there. Lazarus, he didn't go into the tomb and, you know, come on, and pull him out. He stood on the outside, Lazarus, come on! You know, he didn't have to touch, he didn't have to touch this guy. 
He did not have to touch this guy. So why did he touch him? Could it be that the disease this guy needed to be healed from wasn't leprosy? Could it be that the disease this guy faced and was struggling with the most was relational poverty? Nobody would have anything to do with him. A life of rejection sometimes can only be healed by a touch or a hug. Human contact. And I think there are probably, and I've been praying about this, 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 this moment because I think there are people in here today that I'm, I'm tenderly walking across your heart. I don't mean to hurt you. I don't mean to do that. But I, I think there are people here today who you love the cookies even though they came from the store. Sometimes we get homemade cookies. You come here, you love the cookies, you love the memory verses. <laughs> you, you, you love the great worship, way to go. But the reason you come here week after week is because this is the place where someone touches your hand, someone gives you a hug, where there's human kind. This may be the only place all week long where that happens. And maybe, you know, you're divorced or you're alone or whatever your circumstances. And I think every one of us is wired by God for human connection. We're wired that way. A loving touch, you know, a, a, a holy hug can change people. And as a church, that's who I want us to be. I want this to be a place where, you know, we're not going to violate anybody's personal space. If you don't want to be hugged, then don't be hugged. It's okay. I'm not a hugger. That's fine. I'm, I won't hug you, you know. But you, you, we're not going to violate. But if you want a holy hug, this should be the place where you can get it. I think there are plenty of holy huggers here. <laughs> so, we love people with our touch. The second thing is we love people by listening, by listening to them. You know, here's the most thing. The thing most people don't listen with um, trying to hear what's being said. Most of the time, we tend to listen, thinking how we're going to respond. And what is the really clever thing we're going to say? What is the really profound thing that will now erupt from me to bless you when you're done talking? You know, I might be nodding my head the whole time listening, but the whole time in me, I'm thinking, okay, well, here's, wow, this, let me, let me, you know, answer that. And people need to be loved by listening. Jesus was a great listener. I mean, there's, a, there's an example in, in Scripture. It's, it's, it's the day they found the tomb empty. And um, a lot's going on that morning. You know, women had gone down with spices and they were going to, you know, f- fix Jesus' body up as best they could. And they get there. He's not there. Praise God. And others, and they're running around and they're going back to the disciples and they're telling them. And, of course, this whole, this, this whole community had been in this huge uproar of this whole thing of crucifying Jesus and um, that same day you know th- th- there's, there's these two guys walking along the road to Emmaus they were a couple of the disciples that you wouldn't necessarily know who they were one of them gets named here uh, we'll read it in a minute but they're not, they're not like the, the famous guys but they're disciples and they're walking along and they're on the way to Emmaus uh, 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 yeah they're on the way to Emmaus and um, they're kind of discouraged you know the guy that they thought was the Messiah, the guy that they thought was going to fix the earth, the guy that they thought that this election 
is going to fix the country. They, the guy they thought was going to fix it, they didn't understand that Jesus was going to build a kingdom that was going to be different than an earthly kingdom. They, did not, they didn't get that. He was going to build one, but it wasn't going to be what they expected. It just seems like our culture. sounds like. But anyway, they didn't understand that Jesus was building this heavenly kingdom. They're walking along. Their hopes are dashed. They're, 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 they're de- depressed. They're lonely. And Jesus comes along. Luke 24, 17. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Now, by the way, if you read the story, you'll know that his identity had been hidden from them. You know, these aren't the droids you're looking for. I don't think it was a Jedi mind trick or anything. <laughs> I don't know why I do that. Uh, okay, let's get back. Word of God. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk? What are you guys talking about? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas said, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Now, at that moment, there was a moment that Jesus could have been thinking about his really cool response, right? He could have gone like, ta-da! He could have had one of those, you know, those Oprah moments. And there's a car for you, and a car for you, and a car for you. Jesus could have had a moment here. He knew what had happened. He didn't. <laughs> he could have said, stop being so depressed. I'm here. It's okay. He didn't do that. What does he do? He loves these guys by listening to them and, and honoring their conversation, the trajectory that they were on by asking them a question. And then he has a second question. What things? He asks. Now, what's your theory on why he, you know, on this why? Why didn't he re- re- reveal himself and, and, and stop their pain? Just, I don't know. But maybe, just maybe, he was modeling something for us. He's, Jesus is always modeling things for us, by the way, but, but, but maybe he's modeling. Sometimes the only love language that can, can be spoken is listening. Sometimes. Sometimes there will be circumstances that the, the only way that person who is talking to you will know that you love them is because you stopped talking and you listen to them. You hear them. Not because you've got the answers or the solution. Sometimes just love just gets measured that way just by really listening. And in, in, in the middle of these guys, their, their, their discontentment and their heart, heartbreak, someone cares enough to say, you know, how can I pray for you? What's, what's going on? You know, maybe later today in that cookie room, you're going to feel prompted to say to somebody, hey, how are you doing? And then you're going to add a word and mean it with eye contact. How are you doing? Really? Thanks for letting me be my guinea pig for that. Really, how are you doing? And then listen. I mean, maybe it'll be someone you've never met before and it'll be really awkward. I don't know. But um, I want to apologize in advance because I'm going to show you a video that I've shown you before in the church. Sometimes people just do not want you to fix their problem. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most, is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. 
You do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. If you would just... Don't... Try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? We can work it (laughs) I think sometimes people just want us to really care about what's on their heart. And... um, Listening can be one of the most powerful ways that we can love people, just to hear what they have to say. Sometimes the best way to love somebody is just to, to ask them an open-ended question and then listen, just to listen. So Jesus modeled for us um, to love people by touch. He models to love people by listening. And the third one is we love them with our time, with our time. He, um, Jesus had really recorded in, in Scripture about three and a half years of ministry. And he crammed a lot into those three and a half years. You know, he was always on the move. He was always going somewhere. He was always, you know, healing somebody. He was always trying to preach to a crowd. He was always trying to turn a little bit of food into enough to feed 5,000. You know, he was always moving, going somewhere. But he was never so busy that he could not be interrupted. Um, There's a, a, a story Jesus is teaching inside this house in Capernaum. You can read about it. I'm not going to take you to there. It's in Luke 5 or Matthew or Mark 2. But he, he's in Capernaum, which is, is um, it's, 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 it was a town at the time that was centered around fishing. Um, we believe um, that Peter's home was there and some of the other disciples. They're, they're, so there's this, this stuff going on. And, and uh, Jesus is inside this house teaching and there's a crowd, big crowd, because there had been already been several healings, several miracles, so now there's people pressing to get in. The house is full of people that, that are just wanting to hear every word out of his mouth. There are even a few Pharisees there, and um, um, some of the local guys hear, hey, Jesus is in town. Our friend, who they call the paralytic, you know, we can take him. He can fix this. Let's go get him over there and get him healed. Now, um, maybe a little bit about Capernaum, um, as I did go on a rabbit trail on this one too. They've, they've done archaeological digs there, and there are places there that they have found and they've explored and found what houses were like at the time of Jesus. They found one that they think may have been Peter's actual house. There are churches that are built on top of it. I don't know if they are or not, but that's neither here nor there. But, but the houses then were pretty primitive by our standards. You know, there wasn't any plumbing. They were very small. They were typically built out of basalt rocks, um, stones, you know, that they would make walls out of, and then they would pack the insides of that with the smaller stones and mud. And um, because of the construction type, they were typically one-story homes. Most homes had a courtyard, and um, in the courtyard would typically be a furnace of some sort, with, which would be made out of clay that they would cook with. 
Sometimes there would be a mill that they would use to, to uh, mill down grains. And um, so they're pretty, pretty primitive. And then typically the same basalt stones that would make the walls, and, the, and there would also be some stones that would maybe be a stairway up to the roof. The roof would typically be made of a combination of lightweight timber beams and um, thatch, mud and whatever. Not very heavy duty like what we would, would, would expect here. So, so these guys... They go, they take the steps, they're now up on the roof, and they start digging through the roof, <laughs> digging a hole in the roof, you know, and they're about to create this major interruption to whatever's going on inside the house. Remember, they, they can't get in, there's people wanting in, they can't get in, they're up on the roof, and they start digging through. I fell through my roof one time. Anyway, that's a different story. Um, <laughs> well, half of me fell through. I was up with the, my friends. Uh, some of who are in this room right now, and we were working on it, and the thing broke, and I went down, and I stopped here, but my feet were in my living room. Anyway, <laughs> these guys were intentionally making a hole big enough to lower this guy down in. And um, how do you deal with interruptions? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, some of you, you, you're in a season with little people in your household. They don't get it. When you say wait, they realize at that stage the entire universe circles around them and they don't understand, wait, 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 I'm talking to daddy. You have a minute, you have to, you have to teach them that over and over and over. And, and they interrupt. And you just want to stop what you're doing and hug them, but sometimes they interrupt and they, they do it. And it can be distracting. And maybe, maybe you feel like just in general people are kind of an interruption in your life. <laughs> I don't know, I mean... You know, but when somebody starts peeling back the asphalt shingles off of your roof and um, they start to drop a sick person into the middle of your living room, in the middle of your family's Thanksgiving dinner, wait a minute, what? You know, you, you, what's, what's, what's going on here? Um, there's something going on. And that's kind of what's going on here. They weren't having Thanksgiving dinner, but there was this meeting going on and this teaching and it was intimate and and... And these guys tear a hole in the roof and they start lowering this man into the middle of the sermon. What does Jesus do? He stops. He doesn't go on to point three of his sermon, whatever point three would be. He looks at this man, I'm summarizing this, and he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. Which is a controversy in itself. That's kind of fun to read through. And then he's, oh, by the way, you're healed. You're good. Everybody, everybody gets interrupted. You, me, Jesus. Here's the thing. What if your interruption is actually a God thing? You know, maybe you have a really, really busy life, maybe a demanding job, and, and you can be overwhelmed. But what if your interruption is actually a God thing? Because it's a safe bet that whoever God puts in front of you is God's assignment for you in that moment. In that moment. If God has put somebody in front of you, that's his assignment for you in that moment. And I think in our culture, we are so bombarded with things that are urgent that we fill our calendars up with things that seem urgent. And then there's no time left, no headroom left for things that are important. I'm just too busy. Am I too busy then that I can't take time for a divine interruption? We love people by giving them our time. 
We love people by, um, with touch. We love people with listening. And we love people by giving them our time. Now, um, what if you, we're about to wrap up here. What if you are the one that's lonely? And I've thought about this part of the message as we close. Um, and I've thought, well, I can make a spiritual case and I can make an intellectual case. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to state some truth to you and really believe in these moments that it's the Holy Spirit that's going to press something down into your soul that I can't do. So I'm just going to take the role here of being like a carrier wave, if you will, and share some truth with you. What if you're the one that feels alone? I pray that the Holy Spirit will tell you and confirm to you, first off, today you're not here by accident. You're not here by accident. The Holy Spirit knows you, And this is a family. We're a family here. By the way, the solution to your problem is not the family. It's Christ. But we are a family who loves Christ, and we want to be part of his family. And, you know, we're imperfect here. Sometimes we're dysfunctional here. But but that's it. it. Uh, We are part of God's family. And God has you here not by accident. Figure out why he has you here. Second thing. We love each other. You are loved here. You are loved here. And then the, the most important thing I want to say to you, and I want the Holy Spirit will say, and the Holy Spirit is going to get this into your soul. You are loved by God. God loves you. And when you hear any other message, it's not from heaven. When you hear that God does not love you, that you're not worth loving, that because of this, and you have your list, God could never love you except those are voices from hell. They're to be rejected, dismissed, forgotten because God loves you. I want to read a scripture over you as a church out loud and um, speak this over your heart, especially to those of you who feel alone and then we'll pray and we're done. This is Isaiah 41. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. And you want to look that up again? That's Isaiah 41.10. You might feel alone, but you're not. We love you, and God loves you. This uh, series centered on Scripture that said, and this was a conversation with Jesus, to love the Lord your God with all your heart your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I pray that we will be better equipped now to love our neighbors than we were before. Jesus, thank you, God, for this reminder from Isaiah about how much you love us and that you will uphold us, that you will strengthen us, that you'll help us because you're with us and you do these things with your strong and righteous right hand. Lord, I pray that um, we as a church family, might somehow figure out that perfect balance between salt and light. We need to be so, so, so much salt, um, which is a very tiny amount. It's just a tiny amount that, that makes the difference. And lots more light. And I pray that, Lord, we can be that in the workplace, in our homes, at church, at school, in all of the places that we travel. Lord, help us to be, God, your best ambassadors possible to this place because we're citizens of your kingdom. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with me?